All right. Totally got it. Got it? Got it. Excellent. Got your umbrella? Get it. Get it. Got it. Uh, Are you kidding? You can walk out there with an umbrella right now. You'd be (laughs) like freaking Mary Poppins halfway to Alberta. I know. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Okay. Here we go. You guys ready? Let's do it. Yep. Recording in progress. Welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. This is, of course, the podcast where we talk with advocates and members of the disability community to educate and inspire better conversation about disability. My name is Rob Minot. Uh, joining me today is Mr. Ryan Flurry. Hello. Uh, hey, there's Mr. Steve Barkley. Where? Where? And joining us once again. Liz Malone. Greetings from Down Under, Canada. (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen, you would not want to be under us today because you would be getting really wet. While we're underwater. Uh, Yeah, we're going through some stuff. (laughs) We have an atmospheric river. (laughs) Okay, can I just pause for a second and... So what's the deal with this? Is this just me or are, are they just inventing new ter- terms or like well, what's yeah. going on? Like heat dome, then we got weather bomb and now we've got atmospheric river. Like what the, what's with all these, what's with all these new terms? Are they new terms? Bomb or cyclone. We, bomb cyclone, yeah. that's right. Yeah, What's what is going on? My favorite is Sharknado. Well, yeah, <laughs> I, we're waiting for that. I, <laughs> I believe you're in, as, as the great Canadian band once put it, it's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. Wait, R.E.M. is is uh, Canadian? Isn't that uh, Bare Naked Ladies? Nope. No. Is it? That's R.E.M.? Oh, okay. Well, never mind. That's the great American band once. <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, but did you hear, and plus, did you hear about this thing in Egypt where there was a big storm there and then a bunch of scorpions? Yeah, this guy uh, <laughs> came out of hiding, I guess, and went because I guess all the rain kind of washed them out of their usual spots, and they went into everybody's houses. And supposedly over the weekend, there's like 530 people that had to go to the hospital because of scorpion stings. Crazy, yeah. So hmm. I guess at least we don't have that. Yeah, I don't feel so bad now about just having a little bit of water in my basement. <laughs> yeah, I'll take flooding over scorpions. Thanks. Yep. Yeah, we got it pretty good. Well, I wouldn't say we got it pretty good, but well, we do. The, the city of Merritt, seven thousand people had to be evacuated today. We have it pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah <that's> we do. <laughs> we can flush our toilets and drink water from the taps. That's <laughs> true. Yeah. Perspective. It's all per- perspective. <laughs> true. So how are you, Liz? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't seem to have any weather issues at the moment. But, you know, we can see what happens next week. Oh, I always, I don't have issues. I have a subscription, so. Oh, excellent. Is the area that you're in, do you mean, do you guys get any sort of like bad weather every year or anything? Are you guys going to in a tornado, tornado alley or anything? Like what's going on? Well, I'm in North Carolina, so we get the hurricanes. Oh, do you? the hockey team, the hurricanes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
So when is hurricane season? Um, I feel like it's always, always. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's mainly like in the, I think we actually passed the, the peak of hurricane season mm -hmm. yes. and it was, yeah. it was very eerily mild. So I feel huh. like we're going to get our asses slammed like any minute <laughs> for some, from something else we're due. So that, that is true. We did haven't heard of any big hurricanes this year, really. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I guess maybe the West coast it's our turn this year. Mm -hmm. it's really weird weather. Just sharing the love. Yeah. There you go. Spread yeah. it around. Uh, all right. Well, Hey, enough about the weather. Uh, Hey Ryan, Rob, um, what are we doing today? Today we are speaking with author and adventure seeker, as I will call him, Mr. Ken Brent. You know, I'm always impressed. Ryan always knows what's going on around here. No, <laughs> not a clue. <laughs> it's like you do the scheduling or something. That's what calendars are for. Uh, no, so I, but uh, so, and he wrote a book as well, right? He did. And that's how he got the author part. <laughs> and that's where oh, I'm you're going on wrong. the ball. <laughs> That is where I've gone wrong all these years. I did not realize that. Oh, Damn. My goodness. Uh, well, and how was it, Ryan? Like, because you, you, I believe you read it, right? Yeah, I thought it was, you know, some parts of it were kind of exciting. You know, I did a bit of wishful thinking, wishing I had kind of the, the guts, the balls, whatever you want to call it, the courage to jump out of a perfectly good airplane and do some skydiving or, really? you know, be a certified diver and tempt the fates by diving underwater and not knowing where I am, what's above, what's below, what's around. Ooh, yeah. That would be freaky. Yeah, I thought it was interesting in that respect. So it sounds like he's lived quite the life. Yeah, Liz, I think you read it too, didn't you? What were your I did, thoughts? I did. Um, I, I think I'm with you. I'm just going to live vicariously through 10 <laughs> stories. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm not really into the whole being dragged between two horses thing. That's just me, just me personally. <laughs> Maybe some people are into that, but... Yeah, I think I think I've outgrown that phase in my life. Yes, I don't know if you guys can hear that. My my balcony is literally like a wind tunnel right now. If you guys hear like a thud and a clank, that's just my barbecue flying off the ninth floor. Isn't that the eerie sound before like something happens in like a murder or a scary movie or something? You hear the right. tinkling of the bells. Are you yeah, can you hear right the bells? Yeah, it's my wind chimes going crazy. Is he alone? I, you alone? I am alone. Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. Well, first the yeah. power's going to go out. That's right. Ooh. Then he won't be able to flush the toilet. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's, so, that's way worse. <laughs> and his air fryer will stop actually, working. It's true. <laughs> it's true, actually. Uh, uh, about a couple months ago, my building turned the water off and they got the, they, they, I don't know, I guess I thought it was on the wrong day. And uh, it caught me by surprise. It sucks <laughs> not be able to flush the toilet and you're not expecting it. That's, the, that's a bad day. Yeah. It, 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 well, it didn't suck that day. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> that's very funny. Oh, my. Yeah, you're on fire today, my friend. Well, I was just going to say Steve's awfully quiet. What's going on over there? Oh, not a lot. <laughs> Was that what Ryan's giggly today? Oh, he is, isn't he? Uh, I don't know yeah, what's going on. He's, he's had his Wheaties this morning, I guess. His, his Wheaties, <laughs> <laughs> maybe. 
What is going hey, on? new hey. marketing idea, weedy weedies. I know, right? Oh. dollar trademark, trademark, copyright, <laughs> copyright. The edible that keeps you regular. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> Love it. Love this it. episode of AT Banter brought to you by cutting all that out. Weedy weedies. I mean, I'm cutting all of that out because no, that not. could actually be a thing. No, could that be a thing? Someone's going to steal our idea. Then I'll post it. And you know, we're going to be like, Shan's going to be driving up in like a Ferrari. He'd be like, yes, my new company, Wheaties. <laughs> I started. Thanks for the idea, guys. Screw you, Shan. Uh, you have to introduce Liz to Shan because she doesn't know our reference, I don't think. We no. don't even know who Shan is. <laughs> He's the one person that we know is listening. Well, actually, I guess we don't even actually really know that. But we assume he is. Hey, Shan. <laughs> He's probably um, listening. Probably. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right. Well, I listen, I'm, I'm excited to talk to, uh, to Mr. Brandt and, uh, and talk a little bit about the book and uh, some of these experiences that he's had because... Uh, yeah, this sounds very interesting and, and crap that I wouldn't even do. So, and you know, we, you guys know the daredevil that I am. Yes. Not. <laughs> Left that door wide open for anyone to pick that one. Live large, guys. Live large. What do you mean? Well, we've had this, we've had the skydiving discussion before, Steve. You would, you said that you would never skydive ever. No, 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 that's not true. I have skydived yeah, twice. Has. What? Yeah. Yeah. No, oh. I would, I would never bungee jump. Oh, that's what I'm thinking of. That's right. Yeah, no, but you see skydiving, they give you a perfectly serviceable parachute. You jump out, uh, bungee jumping. That's just like simulated suicide. That's, that's right. just crazy. Well, the parachute was serviceable <laughs> when it boarded the plane. Correct. <laughs> you don't know if it's going to be when you leave the plane. Well, that's why they give you two. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> oh, you, you get two. There's yeah. a safety An emergency oh. shoot. or a backup. What do they call it? Backup emergency. Oh. Oh, the really? oh, oh, oh crap parachute. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the backups shoot the secondary, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> you, you, you don't ever want to have to use it. That's. <laughs> is it like a spare tire where it's like smaller and stuff and it kind of works? I think works it is. It, it's like, it, it looks a little flimsy. It looks like a kite. Uh, yeah. yeah, they are They are a fair bit smaller and uh, you do go down a little faster with them. So the landing's a little harder. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, having it be the alternative between that and going splat into a, a pancake form on the ground, I think I'll go with the, you know, secondary shoot. Okay, well, so let me ask you this question then. Would you bungee jump if you were wearing a parachute? No, because there's no time to get one open. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Hmm. All right, fair. Now, one of the things I discovered, what, you see, because I originally when I went to to go parachuting, I was trying to overcome my fear of heights. And what I discovered through it was that uh, when you're skydiving, everything visually is so out of perspective and you're so focused on the process that you really don't have time to be afraid of heights. It's not like climbing a ladder or standing on a bridge or something like that, that then, then you got plenty of time to take it in. But yeah, no, you, you, I don't like climbing ladders. You'd never get me to bungee jump, but yeah, I'll, I'll jump out of a perfectly good airplane. Okay. Well, geez, that's, uh, that's interesting. The human brain is interesting. You won't climb a ladder and get on your roof, but you'll skydive. No, I, I have climbed ladders and I have got on roofs. I just really, really, really didn't like it. Right. Hmm. 
It's like you eating broccoli, Rob. Terrifying uh, as hell. It is terrifying. <laughs> You're right. It's the idea. I mean, that's one of the pillars of our foundation. You know. Wait, it's like eating broccoli, Rob, or oh, eating broccoli, comma Rob. Broccoli, comma Rob. Okay, got it. Although we never did because I think make broccoli, a broccoli Rob, Rob is pretty awful. So, so. What is uh, what is broccoli Rob? Anyways, dare I ask? Oh, it's disgusting. It's it's, it's like it's bitter, you, bitter, but made out broccoli. of broccoli. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey Ryan, Rob, I hear a rumor. What's the rumor now? Uh, that uh, people can uh, call a number and get hold of us. They can. If they have a comment or want to suggest a topic or a guest for the show, they can give us a call toll-free at 1-844-996-4282. Call us up. And how, how long have we had this phone number now? In a while. And how, how many calls have we had on it? You don't want to know. Three? Lots. Yeah, we got lots. We got how many, lots. How many non-spam calls have you had on it? <laughs> Well, define spam. Like, Any, not anybody, I don't want to talk to <laughs> Joining us now is Ken Brandt. All right, Ken, thanks so much for taking us some time to join us. I am Ryan. Joining me in the room are Liz Malone, Steve Barkley, and Rob Minot. Happy. Very nice to meet everybody. And, and we'll all talk at once just to confuse you. <laughs> so you'll never know who's who. Uh, well, listen, why don't we start out and uh, just give us a little bit of background on yourself and uh, maybe a little bit of, of information, too, about um, your eye condition. My name's Ken Brand, as you just said. Um, I'm originally from America, from uh, most of my life in New York City, as you can probably tell from my accent. But since 2006, my wife and I have been living in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, we love... Uh, we love being Americans and Australians, and we, if it wasn't for the pandemic, we'd be traveling regularly back and forth and visiting our friends and family in the U.S., but for a couple of years, we've just been hanging out in Australia. Um, my eye condition is uh, I've had a sort of a roller coaster of vision throughout my life. I was, I was born uh, premature, so I've had poor vision uh, most of my life. I just have less rods and cones in my eyes, as, as happens with many premature babies. But um, so always had poor vision, very, very nearsighted. Uh, but it's been a roller coaster. I've had different ups and downs. I've had two cataract, a cataract operation in each eye, a detached retina operation in each eye, two other operations. Uh, so I'm... I'm uh, at about 2080 in my good eye and 2160 in my other eye, which I am, thanks to medical science, technology, and operations uh, and everything, very, very, very grateful for. Uh, I was legally blind for many years, uh, so I've, I've had the ups and downs. So that's my, my very quick summary and, and where my vision is. So the name of the book that you wrote is, is called Positive Vision, Enjoying the Adventures and Advantages of Poor Eyesight. What prompted you to write the book? I had avoided discussion, avoided any and all discussions about my vision for most of my life uh, because I thought it would, people would feel bad for me or try to help me when in cases when I didn't need a hand. 
as I got to working age, I thought it would have a negative impact on my career. So I didn't want to bring it up uh, and discuss it. So I avoided the whole topic. And then I retired. So I've had, uh, had a very good career in IT and cybersecurity and enjoyed a lot of things in, in the U.S. and Europe and uh, Australia. And I thought, I have a lot of stories that people really liked hearing over beers and coffee and stuff. And many of them had to do with vision and poor vision and sort of getting into situations because of poor vision. And I said, well, you know, maybe I should just write them all down. And so I did. And it's worked out in a really sort of exciting and, and personally rewarding way. I've had a lot of positive feedback from uh, two groups of people. One, you know, the vast majority of people who can see clearly and see fine, you know, they just like it for the adventures and the anecdotes and the humor. And then a lot of people with poor vision or people who are some people who are completely blind, they like it because, you know, they, they just find it interesting. And, and I've gotten a lot of nice emails and stuff and book reviews about it being inspiring. So I think it's helping people as well as, you know, making people laugh and enjoy it. So I'm, I'm glad I wrote the book because, uh, you know, now I end up talking about vision all the time because I get the question you just asked you know, it, uh, often, you know, well, what is your vision anyway? So now a bunch of people that I know realize I could see much less than they thought. And, you know, it just brings up a lot of discussion. Some people I know, it turns out they can see much less than I realized because one of the things that happens when you do have poor vision is you don't really, it's harder to tell whether anybody else has good or bad vision. You know, a couple of my friends had, uh, glass eyes. And I didn't know, I would never have known unless they told me, you know, and, and apparently everybody else knew. So things like that. I'm, I'm curious, uh, you, you mentioned the advantages of, of uh, low vision. What, what do you view as the advantages? Well, I think there, there's a million advantages, you know, you get, uh, you know, I'll list a few and then I'll tell you some, some stories about them. If, if you would like, um, fire away. Thank you. Have, you not that your other senses get better, but you pay much more attention to them and get more benefit out of them. Yeah, I think you have better balance. I think you have better creativity and imagination. I think you can actually live longer. Um, I think you're, and this, this last one is, or not last one, this next one is a little bit controversial. Some people disagree with it, but I think you have better hand-eye coordination. Um, and I think the world is a more beautiful place if you have uh, a poor vision. Now, for I'll give you an ex some examples of that last one. So if two people, one with really good vision and one with poor vision, are standing next to each other and they're looking at similar things, say they're looking at uh, beautiful mountains or valleys or rivers or oceans or beaches or forests, or they're looking at beautiful man-made things, cities, towns, uh, artworks, giant statues, you know, or they're looking at people, you know, uh, of all of those cases. If the, it's a, it's a, it's a nice thing they're looking at, right? But the person with the really good vision 
might not just be seeing the nice stuff. They might be seeing, oh, wait a minute. There's a little graffiti over here. Oh, there's a little litter over there. Oh, wait a minute. There's a little rust over here. Oh, wait a minute. That person has a couple of scars and maybe some wrinkles. Well, yeah, people like, like me with poor vision, they might not notice any of that stuff. For us, the world is a more beautiful place. That's an interesting take. So basically, you're constantly in soft focus. It always seems confusing to me because people like to ask how your your vision varies from theirs. And and it's it's very difficult to describe because you've you've never had vision like theirs. You know? So you don't you're not really I'm never really sure how to even begin to to discuss it. You know, I think the the measurement things you know, make a big difference. You know, when you can, when you explain to people what 2080 or 2160 means, or, you know, what the equivalent in metrics, 624 or 648. But it, you know, it's, it's a tough thing because every, everybody's vision is different. Some people see, you know, like small parts of, of this, of the scope of what they could be looking at. Light perception varies, color perception varies. So um, for me personally, it's just, uh, uh, very nearsighted, you know, but it varies for everybody. So I'm curious to find out what your opinions are when it comes to what the biggest misconceptions are for those of us who live in blindness or low vision. I think, uh, sadly, the biggest things are the biggest thing is that, uh, people are not capable of many of the jobs that that they can do. So they're not even considered, not even interviewed. And I think the, the number of low vision of blind people who are uh, unemployed or, or underemployed is a staggeringly high percentage. And the more that can be done to change that perception. And, and some of that's with, you know, and you guys are experts in this. Area. Some of that is just the technology is, is tremendously different than, you know, five, 10, 20 years ago. So that's a big help. But a, a bigger thing is a lot of companies wouldn't even, it just wouldn't occur to them to interview somebody with really low vision or being completely blind. And the more that can change, the more lives uh, of blind and low vision people can really significantly change. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you say that. And, and I feel like low vision is is sort of a, it's sort of unique too. It has its own unique set of problems because it's sort of this in-between area between, um, you know, sight and blindness. And not, I think not a lot of members of the general public really recognize the idea that, that blindness and low vision, like it's all a gradient. And, and like you said before, it is very different based on, you know, what your condition is, et cetera. I mean, there's just, there's tons and tons of different conditions. And so it's not just you can either see or you have a white cane and you can't. And that can really play into the, the idea of like, you know, even having an invisible, invisible disability because, you know, people will say, well, you don't look blind. And so they don't necessarily will recognize the fact that you might need adaptations or, or need some sort of help um, you know, technology wise based on your vision. So it can, it can really be a, a tricky balance to, 
to maintain. Did you come across that like in your career and, and sort of as you were growing up? Yes, well, I agree completely. I mean, you know, starting with, you know, you get to the age where you cannot get a driver's license. I mean, it's very good for society. It's very, very good. It, it saved, you know, who don't knows how many thousands of lives that I cannot get a driver's license. Um, but it changes things. You know, you, you're limited in in uh, in where you can live and how you can get around. And I, I would never bring up before a job interview that I didn't have a uh, driver's license or couldn't get one but it would come up sometimes afterwards and and it's i would be asked to you know oh, go here rent the car drive this place and i'd say well i can't do that i have a driver's license and can't get one and i i a couple of different times i offered to resign basically on the spot if that was an issue uh, and they said no 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 we do we'll work around that we can figure it all out we can yeah. uh, but uh it is it is a a hurdle. So you won't be doing any deliveries for Amazon anytime soon, Ken? Uh, for many reasons. <laughs> oh, I, 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 <laughs> I worked very hard in, uh, in IT and cybersecurity where you'd walk around talking to people and then you'd be at a computer screen. And uh, very thankfully for me, uh, I can I love large monitors and, and I can work with them. So that that's worked, worked great for me. Well, Ken, you and I are very similar in that I am legally blind. I have RP. So once I straddled that, I still straddle that line of being in, in two worlds, but I'm, I, there isn't any way I'm going to cross back into the non-legally blind category, but it, that has always been a challenge what do you disclose at work? How long can you hide it? Um, you you, you want to you modify your behavior so it, it doesn't become apparent that there's something different about you in the way you're, you're performing your duties. And for me, it became a challenge because I, I had to make that decision because I started to risk my own safety. So then I kind of had to say, look, okay, I, I have to out myself completely. But it's it's a very difficult um, emotional and, 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 and fiscal decision to make. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's, it's not, um, and that's exactly why I didn't write my book till it didn't even occur to me to write my book until after I had retired, you know, it just, I wouldn't have done it while I was working. So, um, now that that's why, so, you know, the, the more, it can help other people the better. And I agree with everything you just said completely. I still think I can be an Amazon driver if once they get the self-driving cars, but you know. Well, I mean, self-driving cars, <laughs> what, a, what a nirvana technology that would be. I know? can't wait. I can't wait. I'm, I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat for that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was in a discussion uh, with Ben Felton. I don't know whether you ever heard of him, but he is a blind, completely blind guy, right? 100% blind. And he holds the world motorcycle blind speed record, which I didn't even know they kept track of these things. So he goes out in the salt flats of Australia and he goes 100. Now, you know what? I could have this mixed up. It, it's 
at a minimum, it's like 170 miles per hour, you know, is, is and, and to make sure it's fair and that people with, you know, as you, as, as one of you guys said, that, um, there's all gradients of blindness. So to make sure the record is fair, they spray paint the glass front of the motorcycle helmet completely black. So, so there's, there's no difference between any of the contenders. And I mean, it's just tremendous. He was cited till he was, I don't know, in his teens or something. And then he, he was just always a motorcycle guy and he didn't see any reason to stop when he became blind. So, um, so I want to, I want to step back a little bit and talk about, because the, the book is really, really positive and, you know, it, it's really, you know, full of these really joyful anecdotes. And, you know, you can just tell by reading it that, that you do just naturally have a very positive outlook and attitude, um, which, you know, given that, given that, you know, you, you sort of battled low vision growing up, where do you where do you sort of attribute that that positive attitude coming from and and for that matter your sense of adventure i would answer that uh that is two separate questions you know where where do i get my positive attitude i i think you know a lot of that's just uh you know some of it's how you're born i i think you you know some people are just have a, a more positive glass half full kind of outlook all the time and some people don't it almost doesn't matter what happens to them there there have been some interesting studies of of people's attitude towards their life where they 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 do surveys and stuff and then some people have they either hit lottery you know they they get millions of dollars or they have a horrible horrible event happen they're in an accident and they and they become paralyzed or they lose half their body's movement or something. And it makes a big difference in their attitude and positivity for about six months. And then after that, it goes back to whatever it was. You know, people adjust and, and they they go back to their norm. So I, I think there's a lot to, you know, how you are. Now, how does that happen? Is it is it genetic? It is. Is it how you were brought up in your family? Uh, you know how you were raised. I don't know, but I, I think people have sort of a set set amount of that. I don't know how much of that you can change. It's, I think it's more internal than external. Uh, in terms of why am I adventurous? I actually hadn't thought about that question at all until I I was asked it asked it while I was writing the book, and I I think there's three possible reasons uh one maybe just genetics you know i had some relatives who were uh, you know had gotten medals in the in the my father got a, a medal in the marines my grandfather got a medal in the army um my great-grandmother uh traveled to uh from ireland to to Canada and then to the U.S. when she was 13 and uh, ran away from the situation she was in and and uh, just did all kinds of exciting, brave things. She she married some a guy and uh, they went from Boston to Yellowstone National Park by horseback. So there's something to that probably in my genetics. I think also you have the... Um, you know, I was brought up 
positive and, and to just go for it. That was the, my my upbringing. You know, don't let anything stop you. There's no reason that low vision should ever be a problem. I was never ever in a discussion with uh, with my parents uh, where about any limitations related to low vision. And then third, I think my theory uh, is that if you have low vision, you're used to being bold. Bold being, you don't really know what you're getting into because you can't see it, but you go for it anyway. So to some degree, you're always doing that. You're walking into a room, you're, you're going out for a jog, you're doing something, and you don't exactly see it as well as everybody else. So you gotta be bold. Well, if you do that every day of your life over and over again, it's only a tiny additional step to being brave where you know what the adventure or uh, danger or excitement you're about to walk into is and you go anyway. So those three things I think have led me to be more adventurous and I like adventures. Did you hear that, Steve? You can still go bungee jumping. It's just a little step away. Nope. <laughs> exactly. Although that would not be such a great idea if you had a detached retina, because uh, I thought about that. I, I didn't want to do it. Yeah, I could probably a good point. One of the adventures that that is somewhat similar to uh, bungee jumping. I, uh, when I was in college, I went to school at university at American University. Um, I I thought it might be fun to try parachuting. And the reason I thought that was I really like to go, I like going fast. I like running. So sprinting and in, you know, most places and open fields and stuff. All right. No problem. Uh, bicycling. I, I like bicycling, but I, not that I'm a great bicycler, but I can easily bicycle faster than I can see the potholes and dips coming up. So that's, you know, not really a, a great sport for me. And then driving cars, we talked about before, you know, it's, it's, just very good for society that I cannot drive a car. Uh, but parachuting, I thought, ah, you're in the air, you're 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 going really fast. It looks cool on TV and the movies. You know, you're not going to bump into anything. It's just air, and you're really, really, literally flying along. So I thought, all right, got two buddies together, and we went to uh, Downsville, Maryland. That's the real name of the place, Downsville, Maryland, for parachute training. And this was real training. This wasn't getting um, attached to somebody who knew what they were doing, where they would lead everything. They would jump out of the plane. You're strapped to them. They would handle the parachute. They would handle the landing. And you were along for the ride. That's probably very, very cool. But that's not what we were doing. We were learning how to do everything ourselves. What I probably should have thought about beforehand, but which didn't occur to me for some reason, was I should have uh, thought a little bit more about whether when I was in the air, could I see the spot I was supposed to be landing in? But I didn't think about that. So we go to the training and the training was really fun. You jump off boxes, you learn how to land, you know, you, you jump off very high things and you practice landing, which is good. You learn all kinds of stuff. You know, if you're about to land in a forest, cross your legs, you know, don't do that. So there's all, all kinds of things that you learn. And then we get in, we, we get uh, ready and we get in this little tiny plane. It's a very small plane. You can only fit the pilot who has a seat and uh, the instructor and maybe three uh, skydivers, skydiver 
wannabe trainees like me. So we get we go through the plane into the get into the plane and we are going through this opening, which is shaped like a door, but there's no actual door. It's just an opening. It's a little tiny plane with this opening on the side. And I'm sitting as we take off and, and fly around. I'm sitting inches away from this opening, which I I've definitely not done before or since that those experiences where, you know, the plane is flying and, you know, you're planning on jumping out after a while, but the entire takeoff and flying around, you're really hoping you don't fall out because you're sitting right next to this, this space. So then it's my turn. We get over the right place and you have to, it's not like in TV and movies where you just jump out and, uh, Instead, we had to crawl out, and there are uh, there's a space between the wings and the wheels of the plane. So you crawl out into that space. So your arms are holding onto this metal bar just under the wings, and your feet are standing on a metal bar just over the wheel. You're holding on for dear life because the wind is blowing, the engine is roaring, the plane is flying, and you're outside the plane. Very exciting. So then the instructor yells. You can't tell what he's saying, but he yells, you know, jump. So what else would he be saying? So then after holding on for with all your might, you jump back and up. You then, oh, and I, I should also mention this. The first three times you jump, uh, you don't have to pull your own ripcord. You're attached by this line, so it goes automatically, which is really good because uh, you're really thinking about a lot of things the first couple of times. So jump, and even though you're connected, the plane is really, you know, it's flying. It's going fast. It's very far away before anything happens, and you start wondering, well, wait a minute, when is my parachute going to open? What's going on? And you start thinking about the backup parachute. All this goes through your mind very quickly. And you don't want to open your backup parachute if there's any chance your main parachute opens because they'll get tangled up and you're going to crash and it'll be a big disaster. So I wait long enough. Finally, my parachute opens. And I'm telling you, it feels great. There's, It's one of the best feelings in life when your parachute does open. So then I float down and I realize, well, wait a minute, where am I supposed to land? You know, and I, I can't really uh, tell exactly where I'm supposed to land. And so I, I do it by deduction and every place around looked like either there was one highway. Okay. That wasn't it. And there were a whole bunch of fields, all of which were had crops in them. So I thought, all right, the one exception was this one brown field. So I'll aim for that. That's probably where we're supposed to land. I get closer, get lower. I could see, all right, wait a minute. Yeah, that's it. That's where uh, there's another plane down there. And there's, uh, and then I get closer still, and I can see a big circle of people. Said, all right, that's it. That's definitely it. So I aim for the circle of people, and I get much, much closer, and I could see the frisbee sized target. That's what you aim for in parachuting is frisbee size. You want to get as close as possible. So I come in and I, you know, I'm steering pretty well and judging the wind and everything. And I came pretty close. I didn't hit it, but I came pretty close. 
and thought, all right, that's great. I let me do this. I really want to do this again. The vast majority of trainees once and out, they didn't want to do it. But I thought this is just a really great sport. So I had the option of either using a parachute that somebody else had packed, or you could pack your own parachute. So I said, well, you know, I love this sport. I want to do it again. I want to keep doing it. I if you're if I'm going to take my life in my hands, I want to be fully responsible. So I said, I'll pack my own parachute. So they explained how to do it. So you go out into the field, you spread it out. And then because it was windy, you have to put rocks on it to hold it down into place. And then you fold it up the way they directed, throwing each of the rock, all the rocks out as you do it. So I think I'm doing a, just a great job. Uh, finish doing that, go up on the plane a second time, same thing next to the opening, same thing crawling out, same thing jumping out. Uh, this time I was a, a little less nervous, but still very, very excited. And then my parachute opens. And it turns out I missed a ton of rocks that I should have seen when I was taking them off the parachute. Bam, 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 bam. All these rocks are falling on my head and shoulders. Bam, bam, bam. No really big ones, but many medium and small ones. And luckily, you wear a helmet when you parachute, so I didn't get hurt at all. But it was a little embarrassing. And then I looked down. I couldn't see anybody. Um, so I assume nobody got hit by any rocks, and I never heard any stories about that afterwards. So learned that, learned that lesson there. And and did a much better job the, the third time I did it. Uh, then my eye doctor uh, told me that uh, since I had had a detached retina in each eye, that parachuting was really a bad idea because it had a big knock to the head, which could happen in parachuting. I didn't tell him about the rocks. If you get a big knock to the head, you could detach the retina again, but blind in one or either eye. So I reluctantly uh, gave up parachuting and, and I had, I was actually the captain of my university parachuting team. So I had to give up the captaincy and parachuting. I stayed in touch with people for a long time and I still recommend uh, to anybody who has not had a detached retina, they should definitely try parachute. It's a lot of fun. So that, that's sort of an adventure. And I think by my giving up parachuting, which I definitely would have continued uh, that could possibly have led to me having a longer life. So there are certain activities that I would be inclined to have done where I said to myself, well, I either said to myself or I was just limited by suggestions from my doctors, uh, you know, you shouldn't, you just shouldn't do this. So I think I could be living longer because I'm, I didn't stick with parachute. Hey, so I, I have a quick question about that, though. So why do, why do they tell you to cross your legs if you're landing in a forest? Well, imagine if there's, a, you know, branches on the oh. tree and you get them between your legs, that would, that would be really right. bad. Right. Good point. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, good, good tip. That is a good pro-life tip. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Well, so and then generally, not when you're landing in a, you know, in a forest, but it, it's fun. It, it is, I've never had to do this, but learning how to land correctly while parachuting is also the kind of thing. If you ever had to jump out of, you know, like suppose you're on the third floor of a building and there's a fire and you have to actually jump out. Uh, 
if you land correctly the way you learned in parachuting, uh, you know, you might break some stuff, but you're going to live. You know, you have a much better chance if you if you know how to land correctly and roll. I went through uh, very much the same experience as you did for uh, for skydiving. Went through the training and everything. Uh, did it twice. Uh, my my wife told me I had to stop after that. Um, but uh, um, it, it, with respect to the landings, while I was doing my my second jump, there were was uh, a group of competitive. Uh, skydivers who were who were uh, landing and this one guy came boogieing down and he's doing all these loops and spins and stuff as he's coming down he's getting really fancy with his parachute and when he came close to the ground he realized he was off his his mark and he, he made a major adjustment and ended up landing square in a ditch so <laughs> you you did better than the competitive guys <laughs> <laughs> well yeah well you have to be i was with a you know who knows how many dozens of other first timers and uh you know, some people paid attention to the training and sadly a few people didn't. And, and, uh, you know, one woman got in a, a terrible accident. She, you know, she landed on some power lines and then a highway. And, oh, wow. Uh, it was terrible. And she didn't have health insurance. We all took up a collection for her, but it was, you know, I'm sure it wasn't enough. Yeah. That, that would have been me. No, no. Minus the people donating and helping to pay for my my medical care. But other than that, that would totally be me. If you don't mind me asking, um, in your book, Ken, you seem to sprinkle jokes about um, vision and eyes throughout throughout your book. So is humor like a really big part of your life and I guess your persona and your personality to help you in your own dealings with uh, low vision? Yes, I, I think that if you can't laugh yourself, your uh, you know, and events around you, you're you're just missing a big part of life. You know, it's you, you know, you get into stupid situations, and you make and you make um, you know misjudgments based on on looking at something with low vision, and it turns out to be something else. You know, from from simple things like you, know, you, you think it your cat or dog is sitting there, and it turns out it's you know, it's your, it's your sweatshirt or sweater or something, you know, to, um, you know, just not recognizing people sometimes thinking somebody is somebody else, you know, all of those things you can, you know, you could get upset about that or, or you could just think it's funny. Well, I think it's just so clear from after reading this book that Ken, you are absolutely a glass half full kind of guy. And it's, it's very refreshing your perspective. It's definitely um, a contagious <laughs> in a good way, kind of attitude. I know you don't want to use that word in the time of COVID, but um, I, I, I think that the, the way you approach your own vision barriers and how you've seemed to overcome all of them is extremely expiring. Now, thank you very much. I, I hope you're your listeners agree and want to pick up a copy? Yeah, and it's definitely a recommended reading. There was a, a passage in there that I'm not going to give a spoiler to, but I have to say I was laying in bed reading it, and I just about peed myself. It was <laughs> it was hilarious. So <laughs> I, I highly recommend, and you did it twice. So I highly recommend people read the book. Thanks very much. Yeah, it, and it's... Um, it's available now. Just recently, it's it's become an audiobook. I narrated the book. Uh, I narrated ninety eight percent of the book, and 
the other 2% was uh, the person who wrote the forward, narrated the forward. There's a funny or inspiring quote at the start of each chapter, and one person narrated all of those. And there's a joke or uh, several jokes at the end of each chapter, all related, all the quotes and the jokes are related to eyesight and vision at the end of each chapter and a different person who's actually a professional actor and comedian uh, narrated those. So it, it was a fun experience doing the narration and it's available now, not just as a hardcover paperback and ebook, but it's available as an audio book at any place that sells any, any books or audio books or ebooks. And Ken, if people want to find out more information about you, where can they find you? They can find me on uh, kenbrandt.com, K-E-N-B-R-A-N-D-T.com. And that also has links to social media. I'd be happy to hear from anybody on LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter. uh, uh, Or if they want to, if they're a Goodreads person, I'm on Goodreads also. So any of those would be fun. And and I love uh, hearing from people. So happy to respond to anybody. Great. Well, we appreciate you taking the time to join us. Thank you. And, and you know, thank, thank you, Liz and Steve. Thank everybody. It's really great. Oh, man. Well, yeah, I'm telling you, he is, it's, that's a, it's a positive fella. Yeah, I don't really know where you kind of get that positivity from. You know, I, you know I, we hear this, we hear the stories like this over and over again. And I really do believe that a lot of it comes from childhood. Well, that's where information and education are so powerful, right? You know, it's so easy for parents of a blind or partially sighted child to be searching for information, to find others who are in similar situations. What is my son or daughter going to be capable of? You know, will they, what kind of future are they going to have? So yeah, absolutely. You know, attitude is everything. And, you know, CNIB is a great resource, you know, Blind Beginnings, of course, podcasts like our own. Um, there's a lot of resources out there for people. So push them out the door, let them experience yeah. the world. Yeah, that's right. I think that, you know, and, you know, I'm not saying that I would be any different. I think that my instinct too would be, would be to shelter or to protect. And that's not always the right uh, way to go. Um Sometimes, yeah, you do need to let them go and try something and fall down and pick themselves up. And, you know, that that really, I think, in in fact, you know, in terms of of a lot of the people that we've talked to, um, that's what builds their their sense of adventure or their their sense of confidence um, later in life. And it's it's really important. And I think that that's the sense that I get is that's sort of how Ken was brought up as well. So, uh, yeah, I think that this, this is kind of what happens, but really interesting guy. Um, it, it books great. Um, you know, we, again, we'll, we'll link that in the show notes for anyone who's interested and, uh, yeah. And if you have any interest in doing some adventure seeking, whether it be skydiving or mm-hmm. deep sea diving or bungee jumping, or even just starting small, like I did and do a zip line, um, Go for it. Go when for did it. You, when did you do a zip line? My wife and I did a zip line in Vegas. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. It was pretty cool. Yeah, I'll bet. Yeah. A little From terrifying, like stepping off a platform and zooming through the air, but not being able to see your what's around you. But again, that's I guess that's part of the thrill of it, right? You have no yeah. idea when the end is coming. You have no idea how long the uh, zip line is. 
you just don't know until you get there. <laughs> that would be freaky. I don't know if I could do that. It's yeah, you just step off the platform and away you go. <laughs> well, who knew? See, Ryan, yeah. you write, write your book. Write my book, my memoirs. There you go. It's right. Yo, I can't wait for your memoir. <laughs> that's going to be. It'll be a disaster. Oh, uh, no, Bashar. But yeah. All right. So, hey, Ryan. Rob. Where can people find us? They can find us online at atbanter.com. Hey, they can also drop us an email if they so desire, cowbell at atbanter.com. And if they have a comment or suggestion for the show, they can give us a call toll-free at 1-844-996-4282. Leave us your name, message, and if you give us your permission, we may play it on an upcoming episode. You never know. Uh, we they can also uh, find us on uh, all the social media platforms as well. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Yay. We're everywhere. And yeah, and soon to be, we'll be in the metaverse. You can come use your virtual reality headset and come talk to us in the, in the virtual guitar dungeon. Mm. Stupid. What a stupid <laughs> idea. We shall see what happens. Yeah, well. Yeah. Anyways, uh, yeah. <laughs> don't want to go down that rabbit hole. All right. Let's get, let's get out of here. Uh, big thanks, of course, to uh, Ken Brandt for joining us. And uh, yeah, we will see everybody next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H.com. Or call us toll-free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com.